Sleepers Podcast, Wednesday, July 26th, weather permitting, right this second, I am driving to play golf with Carter and then play tennis with Carter after that, a little sleeper sports day. Problem is one, it might be storming, we don't know. Second problem is we're recording this a day early. We actually got David Klein from Spartan Hoops on the show to talk a lot of Big Ten basketball. We did the typical thing where we over-recorded. We thought we could fit it in 50 minutes, and it ended up like an hour and 50 minutes. But that's okay, because, Card, I thought it was a really enthralling conversation. What did you think about our, our time with DK this morning? Oh, it, it might have went over on time, but it was all great stuff. As always, when we get together and talk Big Ten basketball, it's always good stuff. Um, and I'm glad that you did that introduction because I had another outfit like right next to me and I was going to like change and have people think like we didn't pre-record this, but uh, just so everyone knows we're not dirty. We're just literally recording this right after we did the other one. And the over under was 12 and a half consecutive days of episodes, not 12 and a half consecutive days of recording. So a mission accomplished here, folks, we did it and pray that I can destroy Carter in golf today. Uh, the over-under for me, I think, is probably a 95 and a half at this country club course. Yeah, I think I need 20 strokes. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Oh. We're going to go straight to the uh, conversation with DK. No comments today because, again, we're pre-recording this. Uh, we'll be back on our normal rhythm. If you leave comments on this video, we will respond to them for Thursday's episode. But now, enjoy our conversation with Spartan Hoops DK. All right, it's a pleasure to be joined by one of our favorite reoccurring guests in the history of the Sleepers podcast. David Klein, a.k.a. Spartan Hoops DK, is with us. Uh, DK, first of all, shout out to you. You've been listening to the show since we pivoted to daily episodes, and you've given us Got it on the podcast. You had me hooked. I've just been – the YouTube stuff, I like going out on the go. I can't always watch the videos. So as soon as you got the podcast, I'm in. I've been in. I love it. You were a big uh, reason that pushed us toward doing this. So first of all, thank you for that. But second of all, ever since we moved to the daily stuff, you have uh, sort of been itching. I feel like you're like, I haven't been on a podcast in a while and I want to talk Big Ten hoops. And I'm sure there's some things you disagree with Cart and I. When Cart and I agree too much on the Big Ten, that's usually a bad sign. <laughs> that's been happening a lot lately. And uh, you are here to blow this up in our faces. So we're going to do three topics today, just like we would normally do an episode. Just DK is going to join us for it. And uh, this first topic is really going to be the meat of the episode. We're going to call this Big Ten Buy or Sell. David has given us his Big Ten rankings. If you want to read more on his offseason Big Ten power rankings, you can do so at SpartanHoops.com. I read it. It's an awesome article. He went extremely in-depth on all of those teams. So we will sort of use that as the baseline for this discussion. And then I've put my own little twist on this. We'll go team by team through his top seven today. So we can re-extend another invite to bring you back on the show. Uh, and I will throw a marker out that I want you guys to tell me if you are buying or selling each team in the top seven of this conference to basically meet that marker, whether it is good or bad. So we're going to start at the top of this conference and work our way down to seventh. Number one should be no surprise. It is the Purdue Boilermakers, the best team in this conference last season, the best player in the country returns. I don't think anybody would disagree uh, even Michigan State fans I don't think people are pushing back that Michigan State should be ranked ahead of them going into the season so I want to use this as the marker for buy or sell for Purdue are you buying or selling that this team makes a final four this season DK will go to you first since these are your rankings Ooh, I think that 
I am going to sell, but I think it's going to be close. I, I think that the person that I'm pegging as the biggest swing factor for how this roster looks different, and not that it needs to look 100% different. I think you guys have kind of talked ad nauseum. They went 29-6, and 15-5 in the Big Ten. Um, they really had, for the most part, a nice season that ended in that blunder against Fairleigh Dickinson. But I think that this is a situation where if Miles Colvin ends up being a 22 to 25 minute per game guy, like clearly locks down that small forward spot. I'm not sure Painter has really had his caliber of NBA upside level wing in a long time. I really can't think of one just off the top of my head. So for me, he's the guy that I'm kind of circling. If this is basically the same roster that's running it back, I have some skepticism. I think that there's going to be guys that's, that take a step forward. Obviously, the two freshmen hit a wall at some point. You guys talked about that a, a little bit last week. I think that this is a scenario where they will take a step forward. They will be more consistent. I think the safety blanket of Edie, um, which can't be understated enough, really helped them kind of just not fall on their face the first year. They hit the wall, but I think they pushed past it a little bit. Uh, to me, it's Miles Colvin, because if you're telling me that it's going to be 25 minutes per game of Ethan Morton again at the small forward spot, I'm out on this team as a, as a final four contender. So I'm kind of in a wait and see approach. And I'd say probably the same about the next spot, which we'll get to in Michigan State. But I think that right now I'm going to sell. And part of the reason why I'm going to do that, and I wanted to get into this, I don't know if you want me to wait until the MSU uh, Purdue conversation that we're going to get to or not, but you were discussing just basically what this team, you know, look at Virginia, look at, you know, their bounce back that they had. Uh, so I wanted to run down some maybe post-tournament stuff, and I had some thoughts. I can I can wait on that if you want, or I can get into it right now. It's, it's up to you how you want me to do it. Um, Why don't we save that? I think we okay. save that because I, yeah, I, I think that's a separate discussion slightly. Uh, it's a good discussion, though, which is why we have that set as a Michigan State-Purdue topic coming. So teaser for later in the episode from DK there. Okay. Let's jump, jump it into your hands, Cart. Um, would you buy or sell Purdue as Final Four? Uh, I'm, I'm going to buy Purdue as a Final Four team. And honestly, some of it does pertain to the reasons that DK actually stated because everything that I've seen from Colvin, I'm assuming that he could be a 22-minute you know, minute guy. Athletically, I think he certainly can. And then with the pieces around him, I think there's not as much pressure for him necessarily to do a lot. But I think he can go out there, be the athlete he can be, and you know, kind of go into that 22 minutes. And then if he's able to do that, also the depth that this team will have. I'm a big buyer of Purdue's like role guys, just because it seems like all the guys are okay with playing a certain way. It seems like this whole team is okay with the fact that, all right, we're going to have this young backcourt in there. We're going to have a national player of the year in Zach Eady. He needs to touch the ball at all times and be Zach Eady. And I will fill in a role around him and in this team with guys like Gillis, uh, first, who still eats at me to this day. I think he should be a Michigan State Spartan. I think he can do a lot more than he does, but he's okay in his role and doing what he does for Purdue with this team. So, um, and then I also kind of buy the fact that, and this might just be me being, uh, you know, want to buy the want to buy the story more so in quotation marks. The lose to the 16 seed, everyone's down on them. No matter what they do this year, they could go like 30 and two. Everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Lost to Fairleigh Dickinson last year. Lost to a 16 seed, which 
maybe fair in some remarks, but I don't think it's I think it's somewhat unfair. So I'll buy them as a Final Four team, um, assuming that COVID can play like 20, 22 minutes a game. The freshman guards take a step, and then Zach Eady is Zach Eady. So that's the that's the constant for them. If this team doesn't make at least an elite eight in the in the minds of the fan base, and I guess us, do you think that that's a failure? I'm generally curious where you guys like. What's yes. the very shortest that they have to go in the tournament to be able to con- consider the season success? Because to me, if they run back and they win one of the two titles in the Big Ten again. I don't think that's a successful season after the way they kind of positioned themselves last year. Are you, are you in the same boat? Yeah, I, I, I think they got to be in. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. I think they have to make an Elite Eight. I mean, you can't have two straight years. They might have two straight years of National Player of the Year, Zach Eady. Like, I feel like he's going to play at a National Player of the Year level. He might not win it, but he's going to play at that level, I think. And if you come out of that with – and this honestly sounds even greedy saying it in my head, but if you come out of this with only two Big Ten titles and two Big Ten tournament titles and no second weekends, let's say, that's that's uh, malpractice in my eyes. So I think this is a really interesting discussion point, and I, I don't disagree, I don't think, with what you guys are saying. Like, I, I would almost say it has to be a Final Four. Like, does it really swing – if Purdue makes an elite eight, are they suddenly like, that was a great season? Like, no, they're going to be like, damn, we were on the doorstep. Right. Yeah, But I just, it's so matchup dependent. You, you guys spoke right. about it. The tournament's such a wild card. So maybe they just run into a team that's super hot. They can match. But that's up why I, to that point though, I don't think like, I don't, you either are in on saying the tournament matters or you're not. I don't think it's like, Oh, they crossed the elite eight threshold. So now it's a, like, I think, you either that's the you, best he's ever done, though, right? So it he's is reaching the pinnacle of Purdue basketball by making yeah, the lead eight. But I think that's that's, that's just facts, though. But, that's facts. But the whole thing is the whole thing is is there a higher pinnacle? Like, has he underachieved or has he not? I think I would say he has in the tournament, right? But you also know how I feel about the tournament. I think it's a it's awesome. Like programs that have success in the tournament, you're a fan of one. I was a fan of one in the John Beeline era specifically. It's awesome. Like you over exceed, you overperform to how good your team is often. And it rewrites the narrative of your program and of specific teams in the history book. That's awesome. Purdue's stuck in the other problem right now, where I think Matt Painter's arguably had the healthiest program in this conference for about a decade but he hasn't ever had You're feeding the moment, into the parallel right? that I can't wait to draw in a minute. I'm excited. Right. I'm yeah. Excited. No, it's going to be good. But I just I, I like I don't think I think Purdue fans will lose their shit. That would be my answer to you is like if they don't oh. make a final four this year, Purdue fans are going to get pitchforks out. But I wouldn't do that. Like, but if, but also but also, gee, I think last year is a little differently. Like did, I think overall in my eyes and you guys might not feel the same. I think the country's a lot better. So the fact of the matter is they could get to an elite eight. And I guess DK said matchups, like there's a chance they meet like a juggernaut team in the, I know they are a juggernaut team, but I know they could match up with somebody really, really good in the elite eight, not a yeah, Florida but, Atlantic or a, a San Diego state. It you could know? happen, but I think, I think they're at the top of the list though. Like they, they're they going to have the they best have, player. They should have final four aspirations a hundred percent. Like that, that should be, that should be the, you know, the baseline, I guess. Yeah. I just, I also, in general, last thing <laughs> that I promise will get moving. I also, in general, think that as hard as it is for me as a fan and for everybody as fans 
to separate the tournament flukiness from health of the program in general. Like you got to win in the tournament. Everybody knows that it's the only way painter's going to go from good coach to great coach. Nobody's denying that with that said, like if they win the big 10 by three games again, like you, you can't step back and be like, this team is underachieving. Like the tournament is fluky. It is what it is. I'm not saying Purdue fans should be happy with it, but like, I don't think it's fair for us to sit and be like, Oh, that would be a disappointing season if Purdue just eviscerates the Big Ten for the second straight season. Like, at you some guys point, said it yourself though. The Big Ten kind of was stinky last year. And I think the Big Ten stinky again. <laughs> I, I, I kind of do too. I think there's a bunch of middle. So, is it that impressive to run through conference that's maybe only has two teams that really should be competing for a Big Ten title? I mean, if they do the same thing they did in the non-con last year, that's the part nobody talks about. Is like, oh, they just beat up on a shitty Big Ten. No, they also beat up on Duke and Gonzaga and Marquette, who like weren't that good. Were good but not great, right? Hey, like well, Duke hey, ended on. up losing hey, to Tennessee. Hey Marquette, was, hey, Marquette was good. Relax. All right. Marquette they were good. fine. They were fine. Shaka Smart, like you said, one trick pony. I'm still still waiting for him to make an actual run in the tournament and back up what he did at VCU. But, that I mean, was a nice... but this comes back to, like, we're defining everybody just by the tournament. Like, Marquette was a good basketball team last year, whether or not they lost to A.J. Hogarth in the tournament. Your like... legacy is tied to what you do in the tournament, but the banners that you hang in the conference still matter. It's Because it, it's towards consistency. You're giving yourself as many shots as you can to have a high seed, to make a run in the tournament because ultimately when you're retired and your time is done, you're judged in the tournament. That's just the way the sport works. Legacy. Yes. But saying a team or a program is in a good or a bad, like Purdue basketball would have a good season, even if they don't make a final four, like Agreed. painters legacy. Yeah, sure. But like, that's, that's a whole separate conversation of like, if they were to fire Matt painter because he can't get over the hump of the tournament, and he keeps winning the Big Ten every year, that would be a historically horrible decision. Yeah. yeah. And so I want to bring up two points have. before we turn on the page on Purdue. I know you want to get moving. Three-point percentage last year, 276 in the country. That's got to get better. I'm, I'm not quite sure where that's coming from. I think Colvin has nice form. They're going to need him to hit some shots. Again, it comes back to how much is Ethan Morton playing. The guy can't shoot. He stinks offensively. I, I really don't care how good of a defender he is. For me, they got to move away from him and make him more of like a 15-minute-per-game role player. I'm really curious to see how Painter handles that. And, you know, once we get to Michigan State, we can talk about some of that as well because I think that some of the freshmen are going to have to come in to, to change the trajectory. And the second thing is I think the depth behind Smith and Lawyer is a little bit weak sauce, in my opinion. They, they grabbed uh, Lance Jones from SIU. He's more of a ball handler, a decent defender, but he took um, – Let's see, it was 28% on 7.63 field goal attempts last year. So I don't know if you're getting the shooting from that. I, I still think that there's a little bit of backcourt concerns. We saw again with the pressure. I know we don't want to overstate that, but I think we also have to say there is some athletic and physical limitations in that backcourt that were not shored up this offseason. I think that if they had retained uh, Draw Gibbs Lawhorn that ended up going away from Purdue to Illinois, that backcourt would be in much healthier shape. Um, it's just something I wanted to point out as well. Shooting's got to be better. Still a little sketchy to me on the backcourt depth. Yeah, that's fair. I would say I think they they think the shooting is going to just come from Fletcher. Like they think he's a much better shooter than he shot. I think that's still to be seen. Um, I would buy it if he shoots well this year, but I want to see it before I trust that. I think the guard depth's a fair point. I will say with Gibbs Lawhorn, um, 
apparently he's super talented. He's going to play a big role for Illinois. I do think he would help Purdue, obviously talent wise. Uh, there are some some baggage there from what I've heard. No doubt. So, I mean, he's bounced around. He bounced around a bunch in high school, I think, too. Right before he yeah. bounced around in in college. So, which I think I think Painter would be like, it's a win to just avoid that situation. And but they are thin. Like if Lawyer or Smith goes down, they're absolutely screwed. So, uh, we'll be fascinated to watch this team throughout the season. Uh, they hold at the top right now. So record keeping purposes, we have a buy, a buy, and a sell. Carter and I are buying Final Four, and DK selling. That's the number. Okay. So two okay. two buys and a sell for Purdue. Moving on to Michigan State, second in DK's ranks. I agree. I think that's the appropriate spot for Michigan State. Uh, depending on, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> depending on how you feel about the Spartans, you some people argue they should be in the tier with Purdue, one A, one B. Some people would argue there's some separation there. My buy or sell barometer for Michigan State. Will this team win one of two Big Ten championships this season, either regular season or Big Ten tournament? DK, are you buying or selling that? Buy. I think it's going to be the Big Ten tournament, not the regular season. That's how I feel about it. Hart? Yeah, I, I buy that it's going to be one of them. And uh, I'm actually leaning more towards they win the regular season. And they lose the Big Ten tournament. That's what that's that's kind of where I'm going on it. But I do think that I would buy they win one of the two. I'm gonna buy also. So that's a, a sweep for the buy for the record. I would predict it's the tournament, not the regular season. Card, I want to ask you more on that. Why? I, I'm I'm kind of shocked that you see a world where Michigan State overtakes Purdue over a 20 game schedule. Well, I I just feel like. I don't really know what it is. Uh, I feel like somewhat Purdue is going to put less into the regular season or something like that. I I can't, I don't know. I feel like the fact that they went and win the, won the regular season pretty, I would say, handedly last year. And, you know, they won the Big Ten tournament, I would even say handily last year. I, I just feel like there's going to be somewhat of a less emphasis on maybe doing things or maybe figuring things out and – I think after the seasons that Michigan State has had recently in the regular season of Big Ten tournament, I feel like there's a little bit more eggs in that basket to have a really good finish. Like you pointed out many times, Gregory, on and offline, sometimes randomly during the day, you'll text me like, hey, just so you know, like Michigan State has finished like fourth, sixth, fifth, seventh, you know, those type of finishes these last couple of years. Granted, to be within like one or two games, who really knows? But what I'm saying is I think that Michigan State has a bit more emphasis on wanting to have a really good regular season and maybe win the Big Ten title. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on that one. Okay, that's fair. I also I think you might have gotten some of those numbers wrong. I went up texted you fourth, fifth, sixth. I'm not sure. One of those was correct. Maybe not the others. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess I want to throw this back to DK because I – I don't think it's crazy. Like, it's not totally out of the question that Michigan State could win this conference. They're very good. I still think there needs to be a pretty large leap taken, and I'm I'm willing to buy a leap because of this freshman class, and I think it really comes down to Booker and Carr. No offense to Jeremy Fears, who I think is awesome, but I just don't know where his opportunity is going to be with all three of the, the veteran guards back who are just good players, right? Booker and Carr, like, if one of them's awesome or if both of them are awesome, it totally swings what this team looks like in a huge way. Um, but still, like, if we're talking overtaking Purdue, guys, Purdue lost six games last year. 
they could lose double that amount and still lose less games than this Michigan State core did last year. So, like, I, I guess how do we make up that distance if we're talking there's a real world where Michigan State does this? Is it just that the freshmen are awesome, DK, or do you think there's a leap from some of the veteran guards too? So I think it's a combination. I think that the scheduling last year lent itself to that fail coming off the Portland tournament. They had to turn around and go to Notre Dame, who ended up being stinky but got super hot that game. You know, three games in three days. We we find out that both Hall and I think Aikens got injured during that stretch too. So they're down two starter guys in the thin roster. I think that the depth is much better this year. The, the big question for me is – how does a team that finished 26 on Kempom jump up into the top 10, the top 5, 10? I, I think the offense can get there. And I looked at the Bart Torvik numbers in the last 10 games of the season. They were top five offensively, and the offense actually dipped to like 88th. They just didn't play much. Some of that was the teams they played. They played Iowa in that, that overtime game, the Kansas State game. Um, but I think that really what's been lacking from this team uh, really since, you know, Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges walked out the door – with some serious athleticism in the front court. And I think to your point, both Cohen Carr and Xavier Booker bring that in, in a way that really hasn't been on the roster. The, the, the leaps that need to be made, I think that the center spot took some strides last year and we went through some growing pains and struggles for that. But that position really is the one that you're circling and saying, what does that look like this year? Does, does Maddie play a little less minutes because Cooper takes a little bit more? Is, is Kohler going to play some at the four, some at the five? You guys alluded to that, and we saw that maybe he's, since Hull has been out, he's been kind of playing with the ones in that four spot. If he's going to knock down shots and be maybe, a, you know, like a slower version of Joey Hauser, but but keep teams stretched a little bit, maybe that's an interesting wrinkle to put into the offense. I think that overall you just look at the depth of this team, and he's going to have his work cut out for him and figuring out the rotation, which we know is going to be – probably tinkered with till death till mid January. And like, I'm going to have many more gray hairs, just, just <laughs> being exhausted about playing some guys that probably need to see the bench sooner than later. Um, but yes, I think it's a combination of more depth. I think that the scheduling is going to allow for them. They have three big non-conference games, but they're spread out, which I think is going to be nice. And I think that this team has the ability to win 28, 30 games uh, this season. I, I really do. So it's it's a matter of kind of everything coming together, and it's not a sure bet, but I think that I feel really, really good about the backcourt, maybe as good as in a long time for this team. And when you have vets in the backcourt, you have guys that now finally got a taste of second week in success, maybe arguably the best game in the tournament, that Kansas State-Michigan State game. I mean, that was an incredible shot-making performance. They got to find a way to protect the paint better. 102nd in two field goal defense last season, not going to cut it. That needs to be in like the top 50. Um, and they need to score much more efficiently inside the arc. They took a lot of long twos last year, 269th in the country in two field goal percentage. That's got to go way up. You can't just rely on the jump shots. I'm not sure with Hauser walking out the door if this team's going to shoot as well as they did last year. You've got to counteract that, in my opinion, with scoring better inside. And again, you look at guys like, Cooper taking the strides. You look at a guy like Xavier Booker and Cohen Carr, you know they're going to be able to get out and transition, I think, a little bit better this year. And they actually have guys that are going to finish above the rim in a significant manner. That's what needs to happen for this team to kind of turn it, in my opinion. DK, I want you to close your eyes. It's the Elite okay. Eight. It's the Elite Eight. There's yep. 
A minute and 30 seconds left on the clock. Michigan State is down one point to Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson in Kansas. <laughs> We're coming out of a timeout. Who is on the floor at center for Michigan State? Yeah, so for me, I've been beating the drum. I'm going to say it. It's, uh, to me, I think it's Carson Cooper. I think it's Coop. That's who I see it. I, I I know your feelings on Booker and the desire to have him be there. I think he has a long ways to go still I, on his body, on his physicality. I still don't know what his best position is. I think they can do some interesting things if he's at the center. He's best as kind of a pick-and-roll guy or a pick-and-pop guy. Um, but I, I think ultimately the defensive deficiencies, like no offense to Xavier Booker, but Hunter Dickinson would be eating his lunch. If that's the, the scenario, Hunter <laughs> Dickinson probably has 30 points if Xavier Booker is the lead center in that game. So I, I got to go my guy Coop because I've been riding that train. I still think that the position itself doesn't need to be anything but the fifth option offensively. It needs to be very good on the glass, which Coop was not last year. You pointed that out multiple times. I don't know if it was a fluke. We'll see as the season continues. Um, but I think that the best pick-and-roll defender on the roster, in my opinion, when I went back and I hunted the film and I watched hard, I, I really think that the way that Cooper moves, his size, his athletic positioning, to me, I think he's the best pick-and-roll defender on the roster. He's going to prove that again this season. Um, and that's what you need out of the spot more than anything. You don't need the scoring. You need somebody who can catch a lob and defend the position. And I think that he's the best option. So I'm going with Coop. You have admittedly done the research and uh, I genuinely trust your opinion on this much more than my own. So I'm willing to to give this some time and be open to your hypothesis that Coop is going to take a large jump and be the best center on this team. Uh, with that said, Car and I are on the other end of this. And Car, I would just like to throw it back your way and ask if you would like to retract your prediction of Michigan State winning the Big Ten now that you know that DK thinks Carson Cooper will be the answer at center for this team. No, I don't want to. I don't want to retract the statement, but I think I made a, a very, very dramatic mistake as a Michigan State fan and realized that these lineups are going to be tinkered with to hell <laughs> until like middle of Big Ten. I truly forgot about that because. There's, there's just two sides. There's a great part of having depth, like, and I, and I hate doing this because this is not me shitting on players that have left the program, but it's going to be very, very nice for Izzo to take a look to the right of himself and not see Pierre Brooks and Jason Williams. Like, that's going to be that's going to be amazing for him. But giving him that power and giving him the tools, you know, we're going to see something funky. Like, I, it, I mean, there's going to be a scenario where I'm probably seeing, like, Trey Holloman playing the three or something like that. That might happen with Coach Izzo at the helm. That That's just part of what he does. But – The um, process. And I try to remind myself of it every summer. And then when it starts happening, I'm just like, what are we doing? Let's I, go. I know. I know. You can it, see it playing his day the first five games. Just play your guys. Let's go. I know it doesn't. I I I say it all the time. Why is it so hard to just play your dudes? Like it's a, you can be a great coach, but at the end of the day, just play your guys, man. Where's yeah. Where's Cassius playing these days? Oh, uh, he just signed in Turkey. Yeah, signed he went Turkey. from Bayern Munich, Germany to Turkey. The yeah. maybe a solution for y'all. Y'all should see if Izzo could ship the Cassius cosplayer to Germany before the season starts. Because I'm sure relax, if we got relax. him, I mean, he could wear the headband, the number five shirt, just get him on a plane. He'll be excited to be where Cash is at, I'm sure. And uh, it would probably solve all your rotation. That's the only guy you don't want to play, right? Like, everybody else is promising. 
You know what I mean? Matt, if Garrick Norman gets some minutes this year, like. Well, yeah, I think I think there's three guys that I've kind of circled that towards the end of the year I see some of the minutes shrinking, but um, I'm not going to say. I just want to wait and see how it shakes out. But I think that there's I think there's three to four guys maybe that you would circle and say at the end of the season are they going to be main parts and cogs in the rotation? And I lean towards no on that. So we'll see. How without hey. naming names, how many of them are centers? If I had it four, I'd say two. If it's three, then it's just one. Okay. When we uh when we click stop recording at the end of this call, I can't wait to give that answer. Let's move on. We are gonna do more Michigan State later in the episode. Uh what a shocker. We're running over with DK Carter myself on a podcast. <laughs> Wisconsin is third on your rankings. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be flat and honest with He's you. He's selling. Guys. He's selling. I Here, hate then let this. me let me put the barometer on the buy sell for this. Wisconsin okay. finishes as a top four team in the conference this year. I mean, I'm I'm selling it. My barometer I would have done is top 25 team in the country. I'm curious if you where would you would put that if you have them third in the league too. I think that's probably similar. Um, I I don't see it at all with this team. Like maybe I'm totally blinded by our trip to Madison at the end of last year. Like Cart and I caught this team on their worst game of the season. Connor Asijian was 0 for 11 from the floor. The fans with all these alumni back in the building were literally yelling at Chucky Hepburn to transfer. And they scored 52 points in a loss to Rutgers with their NCAA tournament hopes on the line. It was horrendous. Like, I I think if there was one group other than Michigan in this conference that just could have used, like, a new locker room, I think it's this Wisconsin team. And I don't think they're particularly talented. You would hope, like, if they are running it back and you have locker room concerns, like, at the very least, you feel like they have a lot of really star potential guys. Like, AJ Store, I think, is the best player on this team. I loved that ad. But he plays the same position as a season, and both those guys are just going to be standing watching Chucky Hepburn chuck step back threes. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm curious. It's off the cuff, so I'm I'm curious what your best stab is. He's had eight seasons. Greg Gard is at eight seasons in the Big Ten under his belt. How many years out of those eight seasons has he finished in the top four? Probably more than we think. I know they've had good years. I um, said out of eight. Out of eight years. I don't know why I want to say four. I'll say four. Five. Five, yeah. So the the consistency that speaks to the program and their style of play in the conference is part of the reason why I feel good about this team. They're old. I think that when you look at this second tier, which I think we've hopped down now one into what I would expect to be tournament teams, which for me is really three to seven. I don't think there's a large degree of separation, so I don't really have much of an issue if you want to have aesthetically a team above or below there's teams in this tier that I think have a, a higher tournament hope but in terms of consistency I think that Greg Gard is going to find a way to be able to do it after he finished ninth the one year he finished fourth the next after he finished sixth the one year he finished first they finished 11th they've missed the tournament only twice under him and and this was one of them I think that they're going to finish in the top four and I don't think it's going to be pretty uh, but they finished 19th overall defensively last year in Ken Palm. I think it was like it's sub 100. They're outside the top 100 in offense. That's got to be fixed. And to me, the two guys that are going to help fix that is a Seijin. And I think the AJ store pickup was huge. They needed more shooting. They need more spacing. I need to see a shift to guard playing more through the wing like he did with Johnny Davis. I'm not saying that a Seijin or store is Johnny Davis. That obviously was a special year, 
but I think between the two, there's enough shot making and creation to be able to kind of lean more on those guys. And if you tell me that he shifts the focus to getting those guys shots while Hepburn, Crowell, Wall are kind of the, the sub pieces around it, the veteran pieces that allow those two to shine, I think that there's a path for them to finish in the top four is kind of how I see it. So, so there's got to be some philosophy change in it. I also think that maybe Klesmet, who you didn't talk about when you guys were discussing the backcourts, he kind of played that backup two role. He had a really, really nice finish. The last 12 games of the season, he averaged 10.5 points per game, and he shot 43.8% from deep. He's a guy that kind of has gone under the radar. He's a veteran. Again, he's a senior. I think that there's enough there that will keep them afloat. They usually protect the Cole Center pretty well. I just think generally when you look at this team, they speak to some conference consistency, and that's why I have them near the top. But I, I'm I'm okay with you guys being a little bit lower on them. I like your uh, formula there. What, I, what are you I do too. I do too. I'm, I'm going to go three things here. One, I'm buying Wisconsin as a top four team because of some of the reasons that DK said. And just because I think if Wall is healthy, and to me, Crowell is one of the most underrated centers in the Big Ten. I would I would kill for Stephen Crowell on my team. Um, and the third factor that's going to be huge and is off the radar and off everything – also, DK, that was great. Max Klesman, uh stats. I love all that. He stinks. Okay. That's why we didn't mention <laughs> him. That was great. Those last 10 games were sweet, but he stinks. Let that be known. Uh, if Chucky Hepburn gets rid of the Wiz Khalifa black and yellow patch in the year 2023 of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they will go to a next level. It's time to move on from that. But I am buying them as that old, annoying, the cold center sucks. It's cold. We've heard the stories, Greg, about like what the Cole Center is about. It's just tough to play there. Um, so I think they they find their way into the top four. Would be a bad look for the Big Ten. If the Big Ten wants to be taken seriously again, keep Wisconsin out of the top four. Here's the problem with both of you buying Wisconsin to me. I feel like both the serious projection for this team and the joke projection of this team hinge on Chucky Hepburn changing or becoming less involved. That's not like, I don't, I don't think he's capable of that. I think he's a guy who had multiple opportunities last year to take strides as like a facilitator, get others involved. Like he did have talent around him last year, the siege and blossom Tyler wall was vet. I, I don't really think he did that. Like all he brings to the floor every time he steps up is, can he make his shots today? And I don't think that's changing. Um, I think he could make more of them. But I don't see how that maps with like a siege and needs to take a jump or store does. I would love this team. Genuinely, I would love this team if Hepburn had transferred and if they had brought a different point guard in. I don't know who the point guard would have been. There were rumors he was going to hit the portal. He never did. Um, but that's the biggest limiting factor to me. And Cart, I mean, he's not going to dye his hair. So all of that uh, <laughs> you add together, you get the same team, in my opinion. But I think it's a fair proposition. I do like the store ad that went under the radar. It shouldn't have. Um I think Shout I out to, to Gus Yeldon too. He's, uh, he's like good. a six eight, well, six nine center. Well, he's outside the top one hundred, but I think like long term, he's going to be a bucket. He's going to yeah. be a problem. And I he's like look, and they're in Wisconsin. The Gus like, Bus, baby. Team, they're already posting like the Gus Yaldon content. He looks already in great shape. He's like, does he good? 
yeah, he's looking skinny. So it's just like, oh God, he's gonna give he's gonna give like all us hell for four years. That's gonna happen. What uh just give me a number, that's it, that we'll move to Ohio State. What percentile, one hundred percent being what we thought Jackson Kohler was gonna be last year, zero percent being what Jackson Kohler was last year, what percentile is Gus Yaldin next year? I don't That's know what the percentage question. is. He's going to be a lot better. <laughs> I think he's a lot better than Jackson, to be honest with you. I think he just finishes better around the rim than Jackson did year one. Okay. Um, and I think there's going to be more consistency. I think Crowell's going to demand, obviously, more minutes. Um, but if he plays 8 to 10 a game, I think the production will be higher and the efficiency will be better. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm very curious because I see a lot of just stylistic comps between, like, super fun prospect, shorter center, Sweet yeah. footwork. Like I think last year I projected Kohler to be like a 14 and 10 or 14 and six guy. And then clearly that was wrong within a week. So we'll see on Yeldon, but I like him as a prospect moving to Ohio state. They are fourth on DK's list. Uh, my barometer for this team, which you automatically have to buy DK. Will this team finish top four in the big 10 resulting in a buy in the big 10 tournament buy or sell? Yeah, I'm, obviously I got to buy it. I think it's going to be close. I'm curious to see the development and the you know the freshman from last year. I heard what you guys said about the backcourt. I'm with you. I'm all in on Bruce Thornton. I went to that last game against Michigan State at home, and then we obviously saw them again in the tournament. Um, I mean, the guy absolutely got buckets. His eight-game close of the season, 16.4 points per game, three assists, three rebounds. He shot 55.9% inside the arc. 38% from deep on over four attempts. Like the guy got straight buckets. He's going to have better weapons around him. I'm with you. I'm not sure if it's going to be Chatham or Royal or Middleton. Every single year, Holtman ends up plucking a guy like in the top 40 or inside the top 50, turns them into like a one and done type guy. I think that to a certain degree, Holtman has struggled a little bit with consistency in the conference due to maybe the early attrition that's not expected. EJ Liddell has a huge sophomore year and then goes. Malachi Branham on that team last year looks a lot different. It's split between Sensible and him, and I think he carries some of the scoring load, and that team is a top five to ten offensive team. Um, so I think that he's been a victim to a certain degree of his own success at recruiting and finding guys and developing them. I really, really, really like the like guard wing core that he's got together. I think that this is a team that if he can retain most of these pieces again next year, we're talking about them as a Big Ten title contender. But I really like a lot of the pieces. You talked about the Jamison Battle ad, which I think has kind of gone under the radar. He had a poopy season last year, but two years ago, he really was like a fringe, like first team all guy if he was on a better team. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot to like about what he has. They're just a little young. And so maybe there's a little skepticism. Can they put it all together right away? Um, and he's just got to avoid that swoon. It feels like every season they start off like pretty hot. And then there's a month where they just get destroyed and lose like seven out of 10 games. And you're just like, where did that team go at the beginning of the season? So avoid that mid-season swoon. And I think that they can finish top four. Kurt? I'm I'm buying I'm buying it for sure. I'm actually buying it pretty easily. I think thing too. I Ohio State is in the top four pretty easily for me. Uh, once again, all the reasons that DK said, and you know, you point out that you know Holman seems to have this issue where like one guy has like a run or gets uses to the point where it's one and done. 
I think that because they got so many guys, like even looking forward to next year, like you said, DK, let's say they they lose a Middleton after this year, after having a really good run, they still bring back Royal, Thornton, Gale, all those other guys for next year. But just for this year's team alone, you saw the progression of all the freshmen last year. I'm dangerously in on Akpara, which is starting to even like scare myself how in I am on him. I think he just got better literally every single minute that he played last year. And he's going to do that this year. We saw what Roddy Gale could do last year in the Big Ten tournament. I would, um, that's my one question mark. I want to see how that kind of translates into a full season instead of like that two to three game stretch he had. At least Thornton had a little bit more sustained over a lot of games where you could see it um, unfolding into a full season. But even if Gale is not that guy, like DK mentioned, Chadden is a top 40 guy who I'm really high on. I think Battle will be very good on this team. Devin Royal, the Spartan that almost was, uh, he'll be pretty good as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very in on this Ohio State team as a top four team in the Big Ten. They're going to be really good. I am too. So this is a sweep. We're all buying. I think people have heard me talk about how much I love on paper what this team can be. I think this team has an argument for at minimum third most talented group. And I think there's a world at the end of the year, honestly, we look back and feel like, they're in the same tier with Purdue and Michigan state. As far as talent goes, uh, I think there's multiple pros on this roster at multiple different positions. I think the, the thing that will take them from like fun team that's competitive and can win a lot of games to like, Oh shit, that's a great team is do they have one, like a, an all big 10 first team guy? Who is it? I think it has to be Thornton almost by default. And that would be my bet. I think that can happen this year. No, no, um, not battle. I think battle needs to settle in and just be like a way better justice suing. If he can do that and be like a third option role player guy. I love that for them. What battle, six threes a game and knock yeah. down 38%. Yep. What battle can do. I think though, is my biggest question mark for this team. Like who, who's the leader at all? Like, do they, do they need one? Do they have one? Like who? Cause cart knows I joked about this, but it, it was rooted in reality. I think Bryce Sensabaugh was a historically toxic presence for a team. Can we can we let my sweet prince move on to the league? Why do we keep bringing him up? It's impossible to talk about this group though because like I just the way that roster was built, like Zed Key was supposed to sort of be this veteran leader, but Zed Key is just not wired that way. Like you watch that guy, he's just like a goofy dude. We interviewed him once and he's like a role player type. So it turned into like, oh shit, this is Bryce Sensabaugh's team. He's the best player and like that there wasn't a lazier player in the country other than maybe Jet Howard, but it seemed at least like Jet Howard's teammates liked him. Like Bryce Sensabaugh, you could tell everybody just hated being around this dude. So uh, like now I wish there was more of a veteran guy who was going to be important to the team who you could trust is like a hard worker and is doing and saying the right things. I don't know how Bruce Thornton's wired. Like, I don't know if Bruce Thornton's just like Sensabaugh's friend who contributed in a big way to why that team lost so many games last year. Or if now that Sensabaugh's gone, Thornton can be like this hungry face of a team that wins games. That's what I want to see. Um, I'm still a little skeptical on it, but I love Thornton's talent so much. I'm willing to bet on it. And uh, I know we briefly glazed over it, but this freshman class is awesome. Middleton's a superstar to me. Like I think Middleton comes in and is a double digit guy immediately night one i want to see his body because i think he was a little thin in high school i he needs to put on 10 12 pounds i think to to endure the rigors of the big 10 schedule so i'm curious to see what they do with his frame this offseason a little nugget i want to throw out here so 
Um, over his uh, five out of the six seasons that Holtman's been there, he's finished offensively in the top 20, an elite offensive team. In his yeah. first three years, he's finished in the top 25 in defense. The last three, the average of the last three years is is 100. So the defense, for whatever reason, is falling off a cliff. I don't know if that's personnel, if that's philosophy or what that's happens, but they have got to be better defensively this year. Um, and maybe it starts with what Carter pointed out. Maybe Okpara ends up being kind of that anchor in the middle and that changes their look. Um, but defensively, they, they got to be better than they were last year. I hey, think gee, it's personnel. Gee, wait, one last, one last, one last thing while I'm buying Thornton as a leader. And I don't know, you probably noticed this actually too. Last year we went to college hoops to go. We went at, we went at Ohio state dead arena, dead game, getting absolutely berated by the media after the game. And the player that was out there answering the questions on the post game was Bruce Thornton out of that team. And he answered all the questions and it's a little thing, but he was the guy they sent out there. He handled all the questions and, the Ohio State media people were ruthless in what they were the questions they were asking, and he was the guy they sent out there to do it. So whether that be because no one else wanted to do it, because well, like you said, Bryce Sensabaugh was busy, uh, but he was the guy who was out there, you know, taking that leadership, answering those questions. So I did notice that. That's true. I like that. That's a good callback. All right, moving to Maryland, fifth on DK's rankings, uh, the Terps. Promising backcourt for sure. Jameer Young and Deshaun Harris-Smith. They lose Hakeem Hart, which some people think that's a massive loss. Some people are kind of shrugging it off. My barometer for Maryland, will this team win a game in the NCAA tournament? Feels like they're headed for a lock, like eighth, ninth seed line. You could probably buy them a few lines higher, a few lines lower. I don't know. Will they win a game in the NCAA tournament? Are you buying or selling that for the Terps? DK. Yes, I think they win one. Cart? I think they win one too. I, and I'm I'm confident I'm confident in that too. Wow, confident. okay. Well, it's it's a sweep. DK, talk us through Maryland. Why do you have them fifth? Okay. Um, I'm with you guys. I dove into some film on Deshaun Harris Smith. I think freshman of the year type potential in the conference. Um, he can do a little bit of everything. I think that part of the issue last year on Jameer Young's shoulders was just so much of the scoring load. I think Hart was a nice complimentary piece, kind of a knockdown shooter guy. Um, but I, I think that Jameer Young probably will see an increase in production, but maybe not in efficiency per se this year. Um, 15.8 points per game, 3.1 assists, 2.3 turnovers, almost five rebounds a game, which is great, obviously, from the point guard. The one issue I get concerned about is where's the floor spacing coming from? They lost their top three three-point shooters and they finished 328th in the country in three-point shooting at 32.8%. Martinez didn't play a ton, but he shot 40.3%. Uh, Hakeem Cart and then Donald Carey. So you, you lost your three top guys, including your second score, and now you're replacing it with a freshman. I think there's going to be some inconsistency. I like Julian Reese. I think that he's a solid center. He needs to stop fouling. Um, and, I, and I think that he can be kind of a defensive type anchor to me. If you you guys talked about Terrence Reed a little bit, but I think that maybe if you're looking towards a trajectory of what Terrence Reed could be, I think what Julian Reese gave in terms of like 11 and seven last year, pretty good defensive piece, um, a big body inside. I think that that's like a, a decent projection for maybe seeing how those guys parallel along their careers. Dante Scott has had just the weirdest, funkiest career uh, sophomore year. 
he had a great season. I predicted him for kind of like a breakout. And then every year since he's kind of gone downhill where the production stayed the same and the efficiencies dropped off. He's got to be better. They added Jordan Drano from Indiana. I don't know how much that moves the needle. Um, you know, big man, Mady Treor, a former top 100 prospect. I think that this is a solid team, but really what you're betting on is Jameer Young and Deshaun Harris-Smith, as you guys said, is a top three backcourt in, in the conference next year. And if they are that, um, the way that they protected home court last year, they got to go out and win a game on the road. That was the weirdest thing. They didn't lose a game at home. They won just two road games last year against Minnesota and Louisville, both who were outside the top 200. They got to find a way to win on the road, but I think that this team – um, it is solid. I think that it's solid. It's going to finish in the top half of the conference this year. Yeah, um, I'm in on them too. Uh, I'm obviously I'm buying the them winning the one game of the tournament barometer. Uh, to me, I think the shooting on this team, though, it's tough to kind of bank on a freshman. But Jamie Kaiser, the freshman they got coming in, played at IMG last year. I forgot where he was committed before. I think. He was committed to somewhere before and something funky happened. Georgetown or something? No, it was Memphis. Memphis. He was committed to Memphis and Penny, and then something happened there. It was a whole thing. But really, really good shooter. I got a, I got to catch a couple of the IMG games last year uh, when they you know played on ESPN and stuff. And he's got size for the wing. He can really shoot the ball. I see that translating to that team. He can also play his role. They're not expecting him to come in and be like the main star wing guy. He can really just play off Jameer Young and Deshaun Harris-Smith and shit, even Dante Scott in this situation and kind of just fill into the role they need him to do. Um, yeah, and not enough people are talking about Jameer Young. That's the main thing for me in this, in the Maryland thing. He's really, really good on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's an absolute pest defensively. And for people like Greg, who loves, you know, the, the sideline stories, the stories that aren't on the stat sheet, they got an all DMV backcourt and they're playing in the DMV. And that's huge. I'm, I'm, Maryland does well when DMV guys are doing well. I'm just saying. Uh, just a quick note on Kaiser looking through his offer list. I think he does sort of have the frame or the DNA of a guy you think could be an instant impact guy. Like he had offers from some pretty elite offensive programs like, North Carolina, Iowa. He can, he can shoot. He can shoot that bitch. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great offensive programs that were after Kaiser. So if we are projecting shooting, I think there, it's a reasonable bet to think he could be pretty good. Um, I think my biggest thing with Maryland, I don't know how good they're going to be in the Big Ten. And to be honest, I don't really care. Like the, this conference in general, to me, is really the only important thing. Is like how good are Michigan state and Purdue who wins? That's the fascinating conversation to me. I don't really care who finishes third versus finishes eighth. Like, I think we're, we're headed for another jumbled mess of a bunch of good average teams, Maryland being one of them who I would bet on emerging at the top of this much more than I would at Wisconsin, mostly because I buy the whole guards matter thing. And I do think there's a world here. You guys are going to want to cover your ears. I think there's a world here where just at point guard shooting guard, Maryland has the best combo in this conference. It's going to take a huge efficiency leap from Jameer Young. I get that. I think a lot of last year's inefficiency stuff with him was because he was taking a lot of absurdly difficult shots because the team needed him to. My hope is that with Harris Smith alongside him, he doesn't have to take those as much. And honestly, from what I've seen, I think Harris Smith might be better at taking those tough shots, those end of shot clock type situations. Um, 
So we'll see. That's no disrespect to Michigan State. You guys know how I feel about Hogard and Tyson Walker is going to be an absolute stud this year. But I think like if you're buying Maryland to me, the world is like Jameer Young makes the Tyson Walker leap that he did in year two as a transfer who went from like average to good guy to, oh, he's great. And you have this talented one and done stud next to him. I would really, really buy that formula. The the, the curious thing for me, do we buy Kevin Willard? Like DK, do you trust Kevin Willard? I, I was I was just about to ask you the one thing that is Mark in the back of my Purgeon head. reincarnated basically with a bald head. I mean, to me, they're the same guy. I think that you're going to have some swings in the season where they play really well, and you're like, damn, that team's good. And then you're going to have some swings where you're just like, this team stinks, and then it's going to be uh, – has he made a Sweet 16? I don't think he has, right? No, no he hasn't. So my and Turgeon did it once, so it's like you basically hired the same guy, kind of. Yeah, I mostly think like – like, I think Willard's a good coach. I, I think his Seton Hall teams were good for the most part. I think Willard benefited in a big way last year from being new to the Big Ten and everyone in the Big Ten trying to figure out what the heck this guy's going to do. Like, he he likes to coach a completely different style than this conference plays. That worked in year one because I really don't think anyone was overly prepared for it. In year two, I think everyone's going to know what's coming, and I'm curious if there's just, like, a stagnation point for him. Um, we'll see. I don't really buy him as like an upper echelon coach in the conference. So this is a proving ground year. Cause I do think they're one of the more talented rosters, but, uh, they are relying a lot on freshmen, which as we know, can be a scary proposition when you need those guys to be your second and third best player type instead of, uh, fifth or sixth, like Michigan state has the luxury of this season. Let's move to Illinois. Fun one here. Uh, everybody knows cart and I do our fair share of Illinois talk. We, I think we've fallen out of favor with Illinois fans mostly because we've been loud about how we haven't liked their off season this year. My proposition for Illinois buying or selling here is a very simple one. Will this team be better than last year's team? Define that. However you want, you could say like Ken Palm rank at the end of the year, you could say more success in March. I don't care how you define it. Just tell me, will this year's team be better than last year's Illinois team? Yes or no, DK, what do you think? Where did they finish in Kempom last year? I don't know if I pulled that. I'll pull it up. Yeah, that would be a good card if you want to weigh yeah, in. Uh, on yeah, but they finished 30, 35th in Kempom, 20 and 13 on the season, uh, and kind of just in that middle of the pack jumbled mess in the Big Ten. I say better. I'm 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 going better. I'm going better and I'm banking on a lot of that. And I, I think DK is gonna be different on this, but I feel like we see Terrence Shannon Jr. a little bit differently, just as far as like him being the ball handler guy. But I I think it's just a it's not I don't think there's enough emphasis put on the fact that they got Terrence Sharon, Terrence Shannon Jr. back and Coleman Hawkins. And we saw what Dane Danger could do, saw it with my own eyes. I do like this team. I buy Ty Rogers. I don't know if I buy Ty Rogers, the point guard. Obviously, we talked about that to length, so I'm not going to harp on that anymore. But, you know, I do buy this. I buy them being better um, just because, honestly, a lot of that is, like I said, Terrence Shannon Jr. is back. Coleman Hawkins is back. I think that is enough getting rid of the other guys and to, you know, be be better. PK? I guess I, I would buy them being better, but I don't see it by a large margin. Like, I think they're a top 30 team, and that's kind of where I see them. I, I love Terrence Shannon Jr. I'm with you guys. I cannot believe that they didn't go out to get a primary ball handler. And I think Rodgers can be 
a serviceable option. Is that fair? Uh, we talked about this a little bit uh, offline, but I, I think that the biggest question is, can he get downhill as a primary ball handler? And when he gets to the free throw line, can he convert? Because if he's going to shoot sub 50, he shot 38% from the free throw line last year, and that's going to be your point guard as a non-shooter. Like to me, like the pick and roll game is going to get super constricted. Shooting was a huge question last year. I don't know if that was resolved in this offseason either. So you're going to have a primary ball handler where everyone's going to go under screens. They're going to they're going to give him five to ten feet of space and say, pull up from the free throw line, pull up from three and beat us that way. Um, I think it's going to clog the paint a little bit for guys like Hawkins and Danger. Uh, I, I, I think that there is a higher upside for the roster if it all comes together. I like the ads that they made. And if they had just gone out and got like a point guard, like if they got into Paul McKay, if they just went and got Paul McKay, I think I would have had them in like top four or five range in like a legit top 25 team. I just think that the decision not to do it um, and the dice roll to play Ty Rogers is, I mean, it's either going to go really well or it's going to go really poorly. And I, I just don't know if I see an in-between for that. That's so a- I, I that's the frustrating part for me is it's it was such a simple task on paper. Like didn't you, even have to be a great one. Just yeah. find someone for 20 <laughs> minutes per game. If you wanted to moonlight Ty Rogers and split time at the point guard position and see what it looked like and maybe build towards that his junior year, it, it, maybe it could have worked. But like to just basically say, here you go, Ty. Like I like him attacking from the wing. We'll see what he looks like in the pick and roll, but I don't know. I don't right. know. Right. And I <laughs> It, it it does feel like we're beating a dead horse with it. Illinois could certainly be good outside of that. But again, it was such an easy, simple task on paper. It was a task they tried to do on paper. They just failed at it. And the last time I can think of a positional hole this notable in the offseason on a team we think could be pretty good in the Big Ten, it was when we said Michigan State had to go get a center. And then they didn't. And then for the most part, we were right, right? Like that season went along. We were like, well, we never got a center and it was still a gaping hole. And uh, look, like now we've sort of accepted that's not going to happen, but there's talent coming in and there are guys that are promising that are younger, right? Illinois doesn't really have that unless you buy Ty Rogers is that. But my issue with Illinois is I don't think like of their core guys, if we're saying Coleman Hawkins, uh, Terrence Shannon and I guess Ty Rogers and sincere Harris, maybe if you're being generous, like if that's their core, I don't feel that Brad Underwood made lives easier for any of those guys with what he did this offseason. He made Terrence Shannon's season significantly more difficult by the ads he made because Illinois, their worst last year was when Terrence Shannon had to put his head down and do everything like he they were much better when he was being a a luxury complimentary star instead of like the Terrence, go get us buckets because he he's very one dimensional when he has to go get you buckets. And I don't see how that helps this. Like Ty Rogers is a guy who I think you want cutting. Can he make some good passes? Can he run some ball screens? Yeah. But like part of what he's really good at is being in the right spot and cutting and, and being a residual guy, not being the guy who's the engine of an offense, I think if I had to bet, I think the season ends with a lot of Coleman Hawkins freelancing, which I think is pretty terrifying. Right. Like I Hawkins Hawkins in my mind should be a good fourth option on a good Big Ten team. And I I think I'm I'm a little bit lower. I know he's a friend of the podcast, not trying to put any shame on that, but like this idea of Coleman Hawkins is the Swiss Army versatile guy. 
has been always so much bigger in imagination than it has been in reality. And that's just that he's not a great passer. I don't care what anybody said. 1.8 to 1.5 turnover, assist to turnover ratio his entire career. So it's almost one to one. Um, three assists per game to 2.5 turnovers last year. I think his shot selection can get extremely poor in spots. You see him huck shots. He, he's an above average defender. I think he has got switchability. I think that there's things that you like, but he's not a back to the basket guy at 6'11. He, he's a below 30% career shooter. He took four attempts last year and shot 28%. Like, I just, if he's your second, second option on a team, to me, that's not that good of a team. He needs to be more of a third, fourth type option where he's a complimentary player and you have two primary scores and he's getting his off cutting and sometimes at the basket, sometimes taking threes. Um, yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about it. I, I just don't like the makeup of the roster generally. Yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity. And uh, to summarize all that, we, we've said some harsh words here. We still have two buys from DK and Carter that they'll be better than last year on paper. I'm going to sell. I, I hate that I'm saying that because I do like when Illinois is good for a variety of reasons. Uh, I also just am a fan of Brad Underwood in that program right now. I think he puts together fun teams. This year's team, I don't, I don't see it. I think there's a little bit of a drop where they're a true bubble team this year for the first time in many years with Brad Underwood on the sidelines. Finally, uh, the last team of our, our top seven, we'll do the bottom seven at some point in the near future as well. Uh, Indiana, the Hoosiers get the final spot here. And this is, again, a default buy or sell for DK, but... Uh, I'm framing this as, will they finish in the top half of this conference? DK, you are buying this. Why are you buying this? Yeah, so I caught some flack. When I put these out, I think the biggest pushback that I got was from Indiana. I was a little bit mean maybe in my write-up. I, I basically said that the addition of five stars to Indiana is not something that I've been concerned about. We've seen this kind of come and go. The five-star, the high four-star. Um, to me, after watching this program waste Trace Jackson Davis four years in a row, no Big Ten banners to speak about, no second weekend appearances. It's a crime against the conference. Should have been a Spartan. I can't say that more times. Like it was just disgusting to watch them not continue to build a roster on. And maybe it looks different if Xavier Johnson doesn't get hurt last year. Obviously, that has to be taken into consideration. But this team loses their top three scores in TJD, Miller Cop, um, and Jalen Hood Shafino. I think that there's some nice defensive upside with this group. I'm with you guys. I think that the, the combination of um, McKenzie, M- is it M- Mbako? Am I saying that right? Mbako, Kaleo Ware, and Renault is kind of a clunky fit. Um, you're going to need Mbako to probably shoot 35% plus from deep on four or five attempts this year to have that kind of work its way out. Again, they have a lot of length. They have a lot of athleticism. Um, I just, I, I'm just skeptical. Where is the shooting coming from? They were bad from beyond the arc last year. I don't see that really changing. Um, and it, it's just a situation where I don't think that the roster 100% fits all the way together. And I'm just, I don't know if replacing TJD with Khalil Ware. And, you know, Trey Galloway, or if you want to say Xavier Johnson with Jalen Hood, Shafino makes you a better team. So to, to come into the season, you're kind of riding on Xavier Johnson to get back to form after he's coming off a pretty significant foot injury. We've seen how it, it takes to recover from those. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. They finished 354th out of 363 teams. 
and three field goal attempts. So I should I should correct myself. I think they shot a decent percentage, but they didn't take a ton of them. Does that change? And to me, Galloway, if he's your starting two, I don't really love that either because I think he's a guy that's more a complimentary piece. They don't really have a secondary ball handler that's going to create for this roster. Um, I, I just think that generally I'm out on Mike Woodson, a good talent accumulator, not a great roster fit builders kind of how I've seen his roster shake out so far. Cart, what do you think? Yeah, I couldn't sell this this fast enough. <laughs> I'm, I, they need to have a helmet giveaway for some nights at Bloomington this year because the fans are going to be in danger by getting hit by errant jumpers. <laughs> the team just does not fit. It's it's it it's, it really pains me because I try to be like unbiased when talking about my teams, but like when I speak about Indiana or I see Indiana people speak about their teams, it's like unbelievable how you can't like just see what's in front of you. You go from this guy. TJD, who is high energy, like doing everything. He was passing, he was blocking shots, he was doing everything. And you reward him by playing him next to Ray Thompson. And then you replace that with Kiel with a Kiel Ware, who, yeah, Gavoni has him as like a top 15 pick in next year's draft. And yeah, he's a five-star guy. This was a guy who literally everyone said last year, lazy. Lazy. That they didn't play him because he was lazy. And you're going to bring that into this Indiana team, and all of a sudden he's just going, "Oh, I'm having a, I'm, you know, I'm feeling great again. I don't want to play lazy anymore." That was a bad Oregon team. They didn't make the tournament. That wasn't a good Oregon team. Right. They couldn't like, play. Oregon by the end of the year was playing walk-ons. That's how bad that team was. Like, and he still was not playing that many major minutes. So it's just like the team doesn't fit. I think Mbako uh, is a. I'm actually really high on him as a player, but I'm really high on him as far as being like a four and playing the four, um, being able to do a little bit of everything, exposed matchups against power forwards in the Big Ten. I don't know if I'm buying him as a three. Trey Galloway has a two. is laughable. Xavier Johnson, we don't know what he's going to be. Like, I, I'm really out on this Indiana team. I think this year could go bad for them very quickly, and we all know how I feel about Woodson as well. You only said one thing I disagree with, Cart. I think we do know what Xavier Johnson's going to be. Right, like, is there really any unknown there anymore? Uh, I, I mean, we don't know. We don't know if his foot's gonna hold up for a whole year. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Health concerns for sure. Uh, the one guy I would say that could maybe swing things positively for Indiana is uh, a name that's going under the radar. I think Gabe Cups could be pretty good, and I think he could help them in the backcourt more so on an immediate front than people are expecting. Um, Sorry, he's some of the shot making they could well, use. Well, he's small more, though. He's pretty small and not great. He is, he is small. One more thing. Why did they even go and get Kiel? Where I get it. I get it. Get <laughs> the five star guy that is talented with top fifteen pick. But I actually like what I saw from Malik Renault. And if I had a back, if I had a front court of Renault and Mbako at the four, I actually like that because I think Renault has the ability to bang inside, score inside, and Mbako can do a little bit of both. Like that fits this team right now. Just does not fit whatsoever it's like so i think they're going to try to play them all together is the problem right and that's that sounds like it could go disaster mode because i think all three of those guys renault Ware, and mbako view themselves as nba players after next season Uh, like is that really going to work three different guys think they're nba guys one of them's probably gonna have to come off the bench if you're starting all three of them they're still going to be pissy and it's not going to be putting them in the best spots here i do think like 
like I think you still get them, Cart. Like I think you you can't criticize him for just bringing in the talent. This team needed a talent influx after they lost the two first round picks, or not first round. TJD was late, but um, like that. I think that was the closest we're ever going to see a Woodson roster to being a great roster. Like you had the star in the backcourt, you had the star in the frontcourt, you had some role players. Miller Cop was a veteran shooter. Like on paper, I liked almost everything about Indiana last year. And I think we should take a moment to give TJD a ton of credit because all three of us, I know that were vocal critics of his going into last season of like the dude never got better. Well, finally, he did get better. Like, and he honestly did take Indiana from just a good team to at the end of the year. I thought they were playing some great basketball. And he, in my opinion, was the second best player in the country behind Edie. Um, now, everything went south for me for this roster in an offseason. Like, you guys said it, but like Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway have to play 32 minutes every single night for this team. That sounds absolutely horrible. I think they have an argument for best front court in the conference just because I think those three guys are really talented, but you can't play them together. If the plan is to play them together, it's going to be some really ugly basketball, and I think you're probably going to have some locker room issues. So I'm also selling this. I think there is a world where Indiana ends up like ninth or 10th in this conference. And I think, DK, you have the right top seven like on paper. Even if I disagree with a couple, my two would be Wisconsin and Indiana would be lower. But I think even the six we did prior to Indiana, I think have to be top half teams on paper. Indiana, to me, you're just looking like, okay, who's the one team that could jump them? And I would bet on somebody from the Iowa, Rutgers, Michigan even. I, I, I was waiting to see if you are going to throw that last team. Well, I think, I think Indiana belongs – like if you're doing groups, I think Indiana belongs in that group. And then you're picking who you like most of that four. I would not pick Indiana out of that four is all I'm saying. So, um, all right, fun, fun stuff. DK, thanks for preparing all of that. We'll do our bottom seven at some point in the near future as well, but that's enough to tide you over for today. We do have two more segments to get to, so let's do Michigan State Purdue, and then we'll fly through the final segment after that. Um, DK, you mentioned earlier, because we kind of talked about both these teams already, but y- you have a thing for this segment. Michigan. Yeah, State- I do. I do. So I, I- – I guess I wanted to push back a little bit on your thought that there's like a significant separation or or at least like a dividing line between these two teams um, for the tournament hopes. I think for the Big Ten, there's a slight separation and we'll see how that shakes out during the season. But when you're looking at the tournament hopes for this team, kind of what they are. And so you made an analogy to UVA and I wanted to touch on that. But I also wanted to maybe just touch briefly on the way um, that Painter has performed in the tournament because the pushback is, oh, you know what? Last year was a anomaly, 16 seed loss. That stinks. Maybe the last couple of years. So I, I pulled the last 10 years for it. This is where he's finished in the conference the last 10 years. First, third, fourth, 10th, tied for first, second, first, third, third, 12th. So I, I think that if you look in terms of consistency that you're right, that he's kind of figured out the Big Ten conference to a certain degree. You get some monster in the middle the biggest, baddest guy that you can, you kind of build some shooting around that and you and you perform well in the conference every year. And I think he's got that recipe down. Here's his run in the tournament. Round of 64, sweet 16, round of 64, no tourney. That's 20 um, in 1920. They wouldn't have made the tournament. I know there was no tournament, but they finished 10th in the conference. They had an awful season. They weren't making the tournament that year. Um, elite eight, sweet 16, sweet 16, round of 64, round of 64, no tournament. 
So six out of the last 10 years, they've been eliminated in the round of 64 or missed the tournament entirely. And the four years they've gotten out of the first weekend, they've lost to a 12-seater higher, which means he's only overperformed or performed up to the level two out of the last 10 years. They lost to uh, 12-seed Little Rock, and then they lost to 15-seed St. Peter's a couple years ago. I would say if you take a look at that, it's a bit of a black eye. And I agree with you, the tournament's random. The tournament can can flop a different ways, but we're looking at a 10-year segment where at least a couple of those years for the seeding that he got, I think that there was an underperformance on that. So when we're discussing this team in the tournament and Painter's legacies we talked about as a whole, I think we kind of have to look at like, what has he done in the tournament the last 10 years? Not, I mean, not the last one or two or whatever, but he really has only had one significantly good run that obviously ended in that heartbreaker to UVA off that missed free throw. Um, maybe it just looks a little different from program just generally in the tournament if they make that final four. You brought up the UVA national championship. Um, season. Here's the pushback I'm going to give you. Yes, you were right. UVA got knocked out of 16 seed, came back, won the whole thing. The difference is they had three NBA guys in the backcourt and Purdue absolutely does not. Kyle Guy was drafted at 55th, so kind of the end of the second round. Ty Jerome 24th. DeAndre Hunter uh, was a top five fourth pick in that year. Purdue does not have that. Maybe Miles Colvin is an NBA guy. I think it's going to probably take two years, maybe three. I think that he has the NBA upside, so maybe there's that. When you look at the way a national championship roster has been built, there hasn't been too many national championship type rosters built around a center, a dominant center. If you want to make the argument last year, Snogo was that. He did lead them in scoring. I would push back and say without the NBA wings that they had, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, the step that Tristan Newton made, I'm not sure. If you want to say that the main score and the and the reason why UConn won the national championship last year was Sonogo, I think he was part of it. I'm not sure if I would say that. And then you look at the last couple of years over the tournament, McCormick, 10.5 points per game for Kansas. Baylor had Vital and JTT, 5.6 and 6.4. UVA, uh, their season had Diacati and Huffman, 7.2, under 10 points per game for him. Villanova was a weird one because Eric Paschko was kind of the center, but their true center that they played was Cosby Roundtree, who had 5.1 points per game. Kameny Meeks for UNC, 12.5 points per game. The, really the last true dominant center that has won a national title was, was 2015 with Duke and Jaleel Okafor. So I guess my bigger point question to you when you look at this the way that these teams make final fours and win national championships is usually built somewhere in the backcourt wing. You, you got to have an NBA guy somewhere back there. And maybe when we discuss Michigan state to a certain degree, there's, there's some talk about that too, that, that, that Cohen Carr, Xavier Booker have to be part of this because that's the NBA upside that maybe is lacking elsewhere on the roster. Jaden Akins takes a step and, and becomes that. Um, but I'm really curious to see where you guys are thoughting of having a centerpiece be a Zach Eady type. And I know he's probably better than any of the bigs that I just named, but can you in this day and age have like a, a feed the type big man without having pieces in the backcourt? They're going to end up being in the NBA and win a national title. And I guess maybe I'm a little skeptical of that. So I know that's a lot to unpack. I don't know where, which direction you want to take on it, but I, I, to me, the difference between Michigan state and Purdue this year 
is that the depth and the veteran play that they have in the backcourt carries them in in higher esteem to me when you enter into tournament play than perhaps it does to focus your entire offense on the center where if he's slowed or stopped or the other guys don't play around well around him they can lose like we saw last year car you want to go first or you want me to jump in uh before I'll let you jump in first, but the one thing I do want to just ask DK is that you mentioned that you, so you don't think Purdue has depth in the backcourt? Not really. I'm, well, I'm uh, well, well, just well, well, just in well, just in general because I feel like they do have pretty good depth as a team. Maybe not in the backcourt as much, but they got pretty good depth as a whole. I think that a lot of the depth is contained in the front court, and they basically have like three power forwards, and that's the depth, right? Like, first split some time behind ED, right? So he's going to be the backup center, but really he's a power forward. Gillis is the same, and TKR is a power forward too. So to me, the depth is kind of contained in the front court where you're looking at one through three. I guess if you want to call Morton, Morton's a connector, like a good defender. He's a decent piece, but you need Colvin to be something. As Greg said, you cannot afford an injury to either Smith or Lawyer. I'm skeptical, like, really the depth behind either of those two guys. And are those two guys, and if Colvin makes that step good enough to be able to win, uh, to make a Final Four, to win a national championship? And I think when you're looking at it, um, it's it's really, really difficult to make it deep into the tournament when you don't have some of that. And I, I just kind of brought the history to kind of look at it. Most of the teams that have won a national championship recently have had way more depth on either the, the wing or the backcourt um, with some NBA upsider guys that got drafted in the first round, Purdue doesn't have that. So maybe Michigan State doesn't either. That I think Akins is probably a fringe guy. Carr, Booker are two guys that I think are gonna are gonna spend some time in the NBA. So maybe that's where you see some of the upside. So again, I think it kind of ties back around to saying if Miles Colvin is not that guy where he really can provide that for them. Do they have the option to do they have the upside to make a final four or make a national championship run? And I guess that's where I get a little skeptical when you look back at both Painter's history in the tournament as well as kind of the history of the national championships over the last few years. I think you raised fair points. I just think I disagree with most of them. Um I think <laughs> like I they're they're all real, right? Like that, I'm not gonna argue. Like Painter's been great in the tournament. One, I'll just throw a number out though. Like obviously, it, it took Painter a bunch of years to get this Purdue program where it is. They had the great years with uh, the the great recruiting class of Hummel and Moore and Juwan Johnson. Those teams were awesome. And then they had another downstretch. And I, I would really say it's been like the last seven ish years that I viewed Purdue as like a legitimate top of the Big Ten year in year out team. Um, now it's not fair to necessarily isolate these seven years when you're comparing, do you trust Matt Painter or Tom Izzo more in March? Because most of Izzo's best teams were prior to that seven year span. And this is the first one, uh, in at least three or four years that Michigan state's been great in the, that seven year span. But in that seven year span, they have the same number of NCAA tournament wins. So like, like the, the new Purdue to me is not something I'm super worried about of like painter always stinks in the tournament. Um, I like even one of the years we're saying was really bad. Like they made an elite eight and they made a sweet 16 in years where like, damn, they shouldn't have lost those games last year was horrible. There's no excuse for that. They never should have lost to a 16 seed. No one's seed ever should. But again, fluky stuff happens. 
Um, and I think this offseason, I, I guess I would just push back on that. Then if, if we're evaluating just the last seven years, Michigan state's made a final four, which is vastly more important. One than, game. Than anything it's, one, it's, done. it's a one game difference. TK. Like I get, I it's get a, that's what Michigan state program is defined Michigan by. State has also won more big 10 titles during that span. They won three in a year, three in a row. I think it's three to two in the big 10 titles. So yes, I agree. Michigan state has clearly not lived up to expectations of the program standards. Um, in large part over the seven-year gap, and I, I don't disagree with you. But then if we go back and we look at what's been done in conference play, they have the edge on that too. And and say what you will, that it's just one game. They don't have a banner hanging. They don't have a Final Four banner hanging there. That one game difference for, for their program and the way that it's looked at would be completely different, and that's the difference. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm just never going to – agree that that maps to this upcoming season of like they made an elite eight and not a final four six years ago. So I can't trust Purdue as much as I trust Michigan state this year. That, that, just, that logic just doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, it's legacy stuff, right? Like if we want to just sit here and say like, is Matt painter ever going to be valued as much as Tom Izzo in the basketball hall of fame? No, of course not because he doesn't have any of the legacy stuff as far as which basketball team is better next season. Which one do we take in the third week of March? Like, I'll take the better basketball team. And I don't think there's yeah, yeah. much on paper that says Michigan State should be better until we see a leap. Like, if Xavier Booker or Cohen Carr are awesome, then yeah, there's a world where that happens. If they're not, and there's still massive questions, and you're still taping the Carson Cooper's dancer at center in four months, like, I don't see that that happens. Now, your, your thing about the, you need to have NBA guys. Um, I, Purdue doesn't have a surefire one, right? Of course they don't have a surefire one. I do think there are, there are ones on this roster that could happen. Colvin is one. You guys can laugh me off the call if you want me to. There's a world where Fletcher lawyer ends up in the NBA. Like he needs to shoot it no a lot way. better. He needs no to way. shoot it a lot better. He does. But like, if you're like, I think what Kyle guy has how many career NBA games? 40. There's there's a world where Fletcher Lawyer finds himself on a roster and does that. Like there is not a massive difference between what Kyle Guy was in the year Virginia won a title He's and what Fletcher Lawyer not going to get drafted though, right? Can we agree with that? There's no, I don't see any scenario where Fletcher Lawyer gets drafted after his college career. I thought that's you were going to go to. I thought you were going to go to Edie's going to get drafted, bro. That that's possible too. I think Edie would have gotten drafted this past year. Yeah. But like whether or not he gets drafted, he's the best player in the country. Like. I don't I just don't think like coming off a year where San Diego State made a national championship game. Like I I don't think there is a you have to check all these boxes in order to win anymore in college basketball. Um now he needs to win. Like I'm not saying he doesn't. He has to win. It's all legacy shit. But as far as like what team do we think will win? Like at this point on July 25th, there's two teams maybe I would take over Purdue in predicting who will make those runs. Like, and I, I get, he hasn't done it, but none of that impacts how I view next year's team. I think they're loaded. Um, and yeah, because Fletcher lawyer is like not on mock drafts. That doesn't make me value Purdue less. I think Fletcher's going to, if Fletcher's just the guy he was through December for four whole months, like that team's really, really good. Right. So no, I think that they're good. And this is, this is nitpicking. I think Nick picking and pushing back a little bit on like the significant degree of separation between Michigan state and Purdue. And I, I, again, if I'm looking at which team I would rather have rounding into March, 
I, I lean towards taking Michigan State to a certain degree. And we'll have to see. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Colvin ends up popping right away, and they found that kind of athletic wing connector that, that shores up maybe some of the defensive concerns that you have with the backcourt that can be leaned on to score and knock down shots. Um, but I just, to me, we say it, and I know it's such a cliche, but like guards do win in March, and I just like the depth and the veteran play that Michigan State brings. And I think a lot of maybe the concerns at center spot can still be covered up a little bit by the fact that you really have four guards in in Aikens, Fears, Hall, uh, Aikens, Fears, Hogard, and Walker that can provide a lot of a safe base for you. The, the Michigan State couldn't afford to sustain an injury last year, and they did. Now this is a season to me where really outside, I think, of Tyson Walker – and, and maybe even you could there. I think that they can sustain some type of knock on wood, uh, an injury really one through four, maybe even five, because I, I, you don't know what you have in the, in the five spot. either. This is just the first time I've thought one through five in a long time, Michigan state can sustain an injury or sustain an ankle roll or something that happens along the season. And there's enough depth and talent at spots. And I guess maybe I just don't a hundred percent feel the same way about Purdue in that regard. I think Michigan state is definitely deeper. I think they're Michigan state is probably the deepest team in the country. Um, and it's a credit to Izzo for the recruiting class he put on with the retainment of the other players that they're in the spot. That's awesome. Um, I still think like when it comes down to it in, in a winter game, go home setting. If the stance is just like, I'll always take Tom Izzo in that spot over Matt painter. I agree with that. I I'm fine with that, but I think that's, that's sort of what you would have to base that argument around to me. It's just like a, a, a quit unequivocally. I'm taking Tom Izzo in that spot because I trust him. I can't argue that. Um, I do think like barring injuries, which you said, Michigan state could survive them. Purdue couldn't barring injuries. If we get to the third week of March and everybody's healthy, the five guys that are on the floor, like Michigan state's depth is great, but the five guys who will be on the floor in that game at that point, Purdue has the better player, on the top end and they have the better player on the bottom end of the five guys that'll be on the floor. Like who's Purdue's biggest weak spot? Colvin. I don't know. I I guess I would say the four spot because they're playing like three guys at it. There's no clear fire starter, even though everyone brings a little something different to the table. Um, Yeah. But those three guys are all like pedigree top 60 recruits, right? Where, I think Michigan yeah, State. I don't, I don't disagree with you. Matching up five on five, we just won't know what that looks like. And hopefully we do. Hopefully there's a Big Ten tournament title game and it's these two teams and we get to see that again because they only play once this year and it's at Mackey. Yeah. That's been a house of horror for Michigan State. I think the last time they won is like 2012 or something. It's been a long yeah, Kart's, time since they've won it. Cart's got the number on AJ Hogarth's career record against Purdue. If we need I that. heard it. I heard it. I listened. Yeah, I, I don't know I, why he I, took offense. I, I, I just want to get this out there because it was brought up between you two, like who you would take as far as like you want to win a game in March. And I do love the, like Greg said, I love the, if I'm giving a reason, yes, it's Izzo versus Painter. I'm edging Izzo just because of who Izzo is. But at the same time, if I'm picking a team, like I love Michigan State. I truly do. And I love the guards when in March, but like I'm not just gonna throw away picking a team with the national player of the year. And we don't really need 
And this is me playing devil's advocate as well, just in this situation. But what I will say is to your NBA argument, that Virginia team, yes, they had those NBA guys, but also they needed those guys to play like NBA guys because of who they had in the middle. This backcourt that Purdue has, they don't need them to really be NBA guys. If they're all Big Ten type players, or I mean, just call it good college basketball players, that'll be enough when you got literally, you know, on paper and statistically like the most dominant college basketball player of all time. Let's say at the end of the year, we'll just say the the top five for each, and I'd list them off. If we go position by position. How many guys are you taking at Michigan State over Purdue? Because for me, I think that I would look at the four spot as about equal. And I think that obviously center goes towards Purdue. But if we're looking at one, two, three, I'm taking Michigan State's one, two, three over Purdue's one, two, three. And I really don't think it's that close. You, you can make an argument that Braden Smith takes a, a jump. And if you want to say that you like him better because he can shoot better, um, you know, at the point guard spot, he, he's going to be a sophomore. That's the only debate to me because the two and the three to me are clear cut Michigan state. The four is a wash. The five goes to Purdue. You know, when you line it up positioning like that, and I get that the five to Michigan state's five is a huge mountain gap. There's a big mountain Valley there, but I think that that they can equally be said for the two and the three spot for Michigan state. So are we sure there's not any world next year where Braden Smith is better than AJ Hogarth? There is that world. I'm not willing to flat out say it, but did you guys see the basketball Jones thing where he put a poll up of like blind stats and it was basically like three superstar big time player of the year type guards with Braden Smith's freshman stats next to him. Like Braden's numbers are better as a freshman than like Trey Burke's freshman numbers and other guys. I think people are sleeping on Braden in a big way. Do you think that, Part of the issue is there's such a safety blanket with Edie that it's hard to evaluate the guards on their own merit. Like that, yeah. that's the biggest safety blanket in the entire country. So when we're speaking about Smith and Lawyer as players, it's very difficult to break that away from the fact that they get to dump the ball down 18 to 20 times a game into the post and not have to worry about it. Like yeah, when, I do, when he I do. leaves and they they move. We'll we'll have that discussion, but I think that the safety blanket of it does give them more upside because it, there's not as much strain on what they need to do on a night in night basis. I do. I would just counter it by saying like Braden Smith did a lot of stuff last year that I don't think he needed to do if he was just playing the safety blanket game. Like he had triple double type games that show a lot more than just like, oh, he's a take care of the ball, dump the ball and guy. If anything, like the critique is he wasn't good enough at just taking care of the ball yeah. in the stretch run of the season. So I, I think there's a lot there. That that would be like like you're you're right. I think uh it would probably be close. I think Purdue people would find a way to take three of the positions from Purdue. Michigan State people would find a way to take three from Michigan State. I do think uh, it's not a no-brainer that I'd take Michigan State's four spot, and it's also not a no-brainer that I would yeah. take the point guard. But a Tyson Walker, yes. Jay Nakins, yes. It's a wash, but if you're if Gillis ends up starting this year, Malik Hall is a better version of Gillis. I mean, he's shot better over the year. I think he's a little better defender. I mean, you got J right now Jackson Kohler starting at the four for Michigan State in practice. So. Yeah, because Hall just came back into practice. He literally just right. just but, got but, back. But uh, I mean, the story of Malik Hall's career, right? Like, are we we're giving him on paper he's better than Caleb First and Trey Kaufman Wren and Mason Gillis? 
Um, no, Oof. but then I think that my counter would be that Cohen Carr is there, and I would take Cohen Carr and line him up with that in terms of what he's going to give you on the glass and finishing at the rim as much as I would those two guys. I, I just think Purdue kind of has a bit of a logjam at that spot. The logjam of good players, though. It's not the it's not the Michigan State at the five logjam. Like that's fair. I, Caleb Hurst is a really good player. <laughs> ah, it's a relaxed, really good. He's a really, really good player. Good. He's a good really player. Good. Good. Yeah, he's a really good, good player. Good. Then why didn't he play more? Because he, him and Kaufman, I'm shocked neither of them have transferred. Like neither one of those guys make a ton of sense next to Edie. So I mean, he was a five and five guy last. Good as a stretch. Yeah, I I mean he, again I think he's playing semi out of position. Like, I'd I also like to throw out there that I would, take Mason, I would take Mason Gillis over from Holy Call. Go look Perfect. at the numbers. You should Perfect. you gotta bite your tongue. Even I I get how you feel about see, it. I want to see the numbers. And I just want to see a healthy I'm, season. I'm going, I don't know if we do one way or the other, but I, I can't I can't abide by that statement. Mason Gillis hit eight threes in a game one time. I know, and that's great. And then he and he's just like Malik Call in some spots where he doesn't show up in games too. And he's Mason Gillis had one game where he made fifty percent of the threes Malik Call made last season. So uh I don't yeah. I don't know. I think we're I think we're underranking everything but Edie when we talk about Purdue. Um it's a fair argument. Look, credit to Michigan State that it's a fair argument. Again, Purdue lost six games last year. Michigan State has a very fair shot at doing something similar this year. Uh, they're going to have to battle it out. Purdue has the advantage because the only game's in Mackey. That stinks for Michigan State. I really wish Purdue was coming to the Breslin Center, uh, but this won't be the first or the last time that we have this conversation. Let's end the show with uh, a quick, fun one. All-time Michigan State starting five. Uh, I don't want just like your all-time best players, by the way. I want like you have to build five men to start a 30-game season that you're going to watch and have the most fun watching that can also compete DK. So give me, give me your five. Who's your all time five. Yeah. Okay. So if we're, we're speaking about roster fit and role and like, like a full season, it's different than the top five guys are the best guys at every five positions. So just making that clear before I get like stomped on for some of my selections, but um, I would go Cassius Winston, Denzel Valentine, Aaron Henry, Raymond Green, Xavier Tillman. Those are my five that I would take to one wow. any day of the week. I think that the front court is would probably be Michigan State's most versatile defensively. You know Draymond can step it out and hit it. At least in college he could, so there's some spacing there. I wanted to take a guy on the wing that was versatile and maybe necessarily didn't need to take shots because I think you have so many other guys on the roster that can do that. I think Aaron Henry is probably one of the most underrated like glue guy connectors that Michigan State has had. They don't make that 2019 Final Four run without him. I think he was an invaluable piece both defensively and just a couple of the games that he had. Um, and then I went for maybe some of the more fun backcourt. There's no way I could have left out Winston, I don't think. And whether you want to say he slides off the ball, maybe he plays two in some spots and Denzel's on the ball. I think that there's some versatility there to be able to mix it. Um, but I think that those two guys next to each other in terms of passing would just be insane. Um, and you have probably arguably three of Michigan State's best passers in the Izzo era. 
with Draymond in that mix on that team. Um, I just think that that would be a team I would watch all day, every day. Uh, guys that would go to war for each other. I, I like that group. So I'm shocked at the Aaron Henry inclusion. I I, 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 I was expecting Gary Harris from you at the three. I know you're high on Gary. Yeah, I am high on Gary, but when I was looking at it, I think, man, I, I think that, I want to be careful how I word this, but I think that Henry to a certain degree was a more versatile defender over his years. I really think he was a guy that could guard one through four. Um, and Gary, Gary took a lot of shots over the course of it. And when you have Denzel and Winston and Draymond on the team, I think you needed two guys that don't need the ball a hundred percent and were willing to get in the trenches and do the dirty work. And I think Henry and XT are the perfect fit around guys that can put the ball in the hole. That's a fair stance. Also, you get the, I don't have time to be tired quote from Aaron Henry, uh, him and Draymond on the, what was the fish team. one. He had a good fish. Just, one. just keep swimming. Yeah, something like that. As as we're fighting for our lives, the <laughs> yeah, he put the, the year. Listen, that run that he had where he put the team on the back and they made the tournament, I think that's one of the more underrated closes to a Michigan State season I've ever seen. Like the guy literally did everything. That team stunk. That team stunk. Yeah. We had Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier as our like starting one and five for parts of that season that he got him to the tournament. It was a miracle. It that was, was a miracle. Special. It was special. Cart, what's your answer? Who's your five? Uh, are we doing coaches? I want Fife on my staff. <laughs> no. No, we are not. Uh, no. Uh, okay. It, it took everything in me. Not I, I, I tried to find any way to get Joseph Jamal on this lineup, but unfortunately I cannot get him in there. Uh, I'm going same backcourt as DK. I got Cash and Zell in my backcourt. At my three, I got McQuaid. Um, I'm not, you know, wow. McQuaid, I think is the perfect, he can shoot it. He was, you know, defensively, he was a guy, I'm not saying he's like the best defender in Michigan state history, but he was a guy that, you know, was willing to do the little things. I think you needed a three position, uh, and he doesn't hit women. So I didn't want to put the redacted player at that position. I got Draymond at the four and I got Jaron at the five. Okay. Okay. Um, Mine's similar to yours as well. Cash, Zell, Draymond, Jaron at the four or five. I'm going Shannon Brown at the three. I think what's missed from both of your team, like I want a classic Michigan State leaper. And I was trying to think who it would be. I'm with you, Carr. I can't include redacted. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, you just can't go, which is a shame because he was so fun. But I, I think Shannon's probably the only answer, unless you went like Brandon Dawson, but you're not taking him over the front court guys. Dawson at the three, good lord. You want to watch that? Yeah, that's what <laughs> I I'm love saying. I love Dawson, but no, he's a four. That's what I'm saying. So I'll throw Shannon at the three. A lot of fun options you could do with this team. Probably would have been more got, we definitely gotta post this and see who would pick whose team. I yeah. like that. Card, I got a question for you. Jaron Jackson's freshman year. Or Xavier Tillman's junior year. What are you taking? Both were defensive player of the year. Who would you who would you rather take? It's so hard not to like look forward to see like what Jared Of course. You see in the NBA and the progress and all the rest oh. of it. You can't do it if you're just looking at college. College I mean, careers. I like I like like I told you from the minute that Tillman put that senior on his back and had that other kid, he was that dude was special. Starting with that Tim Duncan against Illinois to like win the game. I think that was the ah uh, man. I, I think I'm still going Jaron. I think I still am. But I love I think, that. The, I love I think Xavier Tillman was arguably the best pick and roll defender that Michigan State has ever had under Izzo. I, I think he was 
special, special. He was a great short roll passer, didn't need the ball a ton, did everything. Um, and you just look at what he did. Again, Zion Williamson, his, his sophomore year, really made him inefficient, that Duke game. Uh, and then that game against Luca Garza at home when he locked him up for, like, the last eight minutes, national player of the year, like, that – like those just ring so loud in, in, in my – and Jaron just had so much trouble staying on the floor. He was constantly in foul trouble. And, and, and part of that really wasn't his fault. We don't stand with stripes on this podcast. <laughs> we are an anti-stripes show, that is for sure. Uh, all right, this was fun. Very, very impressive episode, I would say. DK's uh, triumphant return to the Sleepers podcast, I would say, was a massive success. David Klein, thank you for being here. As always, thank you for all the great work that you do in this conference. You can get more from DK uh, on his Twitter. First of all, is it Spartan Hoops underscore DK? Got it. Yep. Spartan Hoops underscore DK and SpartanHoops.com is where you can get all of his work, uh, both now and then throughout the season. Thank you for being here, my friend. Open invite. We'll get you back on soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Greg here, interrupting whatever nonsense Cart and I are talking about to ask you if you knew that we do this five days a week now, Monday through Friday. You can find the full video episodes of every episode of the Sleepers podcast on our YouTube channel. You can also listen to them wherever podcasts can be listened to. Please like and subscribe, though, because we're kind of trying to make this a more real thing, and we don't really make any money off of this right now, which uh, is not ideal. So, yeah, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoy this, and let's get you back to the show. Carl, let's end this episode with one big thing presented, as always, by Bigby. Bigby, where you can get coffee. What's your one big thing today, Cart? Uh, my one big thing is I want you to go first in one big thing, because I always go first. I like our rhythm when you go first. Like, you're the leadoff hitter. I'm second. I'm just trying to bunch you over so you can score the run. Like If we were putting us in baseball terms, let's be honest here, you'd be the leadoff hitter. I'd be like... I'd be clean up. I'd be Miggy. I don't know whether to be disrespected by that. I did hit leadoff a lot when I played baseball. For the I just feel like you're getting on. I feel like you're getting on base. It's crazy that I hit leadoff given how slow I am, but I was a leadoff hitter for multiple years. Fine. My one big thing is kind of a sad one. Every time you have me go first, I I do some real topic. Uh, Bronny James went down at USC practice, cardiac arrest. Um, by the time people see this, this will be a day late. So kind of old news, but we just read that while recording with DK and that's really scary stuff, man. Uh, I just hope he's okay. I don't know that there's many players in the country. I'm more excited to see than Bronny next year. I've loved what I've seen. I actually think he's underrated as a recruit, which is crazy for a guy of who he is with his family name. Um, but man, I was excited to watch him at USC. I still hope it happens. This is the second consecutive offseason now that USC has had a player with cardiac arrest or heart problems in a practice. That's horrifying. I don't know if that's just a total fluke or what. Um, but yeah, thoughts, thoughts with Bronny James and the entire James family. And uh, I really just genuinely hope he's okay and gets back to full strength soon. Cart, what's your one big thing? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I'd like to do an extension of yours as well. I mean, just outside of basketball, you never want to see that happen. Like, despite whether his basketball career is able to go on as is, I mean, there's obviously been situations in the past, like players like Keontae Johnson have been able to come back from that. But even outside of basketball, it's just such a scary thing because you never really know until obviously something tragic like this happens. But I have been seeing updates that he is in stable condition. They were able to get him to the hospital. So honestly, that's a win in itself. So, you know, thoughts and prayers to him. Hopefully a quick recovery. Would love to see him back on the basketball court, but just glad he's okay and in stable condition. 
Uh, my one big thing is also on a more serious note, uh, just because I've been I've been seeing a lot of negativity, I think, in discussing basketball. I think that you should be able to discuss basketball. And this is more so for me personally, Gregory. And, you know, maybe in my DMs, maybe on Twitter. I don't think that basketball discussions should ever become personal and having discussions and having disagreements should be okay in the basketball world. And I don't think that it is that way. And it seems that fan bases from all over, whether it be Big Ten or just college basketball fans in general, sometimes take this too seriously. I consider this a job. I do. Uh, you know, whether it be funding my whole family, which right now it's not, hopefully people subscribe and like this and do it. So one day it can, but I consider this a job. I approach it as such, but it is never to a point where it's more than a game and as serious as what it is. Um, so I just want to say that I feel like you should be able to have more discussions um, and disagreements on what you want to have about basketball without making things personal. It should never get to a personal level. And disagreements are disagreements. And you can feel any way you want about basketball or basketball teams. At the end of the day, it's us talking college basketball and how we see it through our eyes. That's all it is. Wow. A poignant statement from you, Car. We love disagreements here at Sleepers Podcast. And uh, we rarely ever like start to not like people because they disagree with us. Like we we want people to disagree with us. It's more fun that sure. way. You should. You know? Yeah, you, you really should. So I echo your sentiments, Cart. Um, okay. Well, somber note to end a fun episode with David Klein. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, go comment on the YouTube videos. That helps us the most. If you can do anything to support us, it would be interact with us on the YouTube channel. We'll be back tomorrow for another episode of Sleepers Podcast. Have a great Wednesday, everybody, and pray that I'm beating Carter by 35 strokes. <laughs>